Welcome to the Veterinary Business Matters Podcast brought to you by Oculus Insights. Here we will discuss topics related to veterinary business management. From small to large animal, this podcast strives to give you the insight and tools to help you improve your veterinary business. Oculus Insights, supporting businesses where great people want to be. Hi, it's Mike Powell, and welcome to another podcast from Oculus Insights. This is all part of our COVID-19 Resilience Guide for Veterinarians. Our goal with this guide is to give veterinarians, practice owners, managers, some tools to help them navigate through this crisis that we're all suffering and come out the other side really well positioned to just thrive in our new normal, That whatever that may be. I'm really, really happy to uh, have Adam Little on this podcast. I've known Adam for a few years. Adam, uh, I'll let him introduce himself, but Adam has been really one of the great visionaries in our profession on how technology can help veterinarians uh, offer better medicine. He'll explain his journey there. Adam was involved in a couple of our Oculus summits, both in America and in Europe. And on both sides of the ocean, he really wowed the audience and just really gave everybody a lot to think about in terms of the tools available to us with some of the new technology. So Adam and I are going to revisit uh, where we were back then in technology and see if it met its promise. And we're going to spend a lot of time talking about telemedicine right now. That really is something that veterinarians of all stripes are looking at. So um, without saying anything more, uh, let's welcome Adam Little to the uh, to the podcast. Thank you. Enjoy. Hi and welcome and really, really proud to have Adam Little with us, Dr. Adam Little based in Vancouver. I met Adam about two to three years ago. Adam did some presenting for us at Oculus. We had our summit in Austin, Texas, and Adam did a great, great presentation on technology and where innovation is going in the vet space. And then we invited him over to Europe to our summit in Amsterdam. And one of the highlights of that trip was sitting with Adam and a couple of other participants in an outrageously fun wine bar in Amsterdam. So it's really great to connect again, Adam. Thank you and welcome. Thank you very much. Uh, Good to be here. And yeah, definitely fond memories of that trip and, and great to be connected here as well. Not everybody knows you. A lot of people know you, but not everybody does. So why don't you just give us a little bit of a background, uh, where you're from, where you went to vet school, and talk about your company right now. Yeah. So I'm a veterinarian by training. I call Vancouver, British Columbia home with my fiance, who's a veterinarian and owns a practice here in the city, as well as two clumber spaniels. So for those listening, feel free to Google that particular breed of dog. They're, uh, they're pretty unusual, but uh, we have a, a couple of them and, and honestly have, uh, have helped keep us sane during the, the quarantine to a certain extent. So my career has really spanned a lot of different types of opportunities, but centered around the intersection of animal health, entrepreneurship, and tech. Um, I went to vet school at the Ontario Veterinary College. And throughout my time there, there was kind of two different areas of interest that kept me going. The first was I did a lot of work and continue to have a relationship with Veterinarians Without Borders. So I spent quite a bit of time in Tanzania working with poultry farmers, uh, spending my summers uh, working on those projects. But kind of through that experience, began to get an appreciation for the broader ways in which veterinary medicine could be useful to society and some of the different types of skill sets that were beneficial to being able to support communities Uh, beyond just kind of individual animal health. So that was a really eye-opening experience for me. Uh, And then the second part has been this entrepreneurial streak that really began when I was in vet school. The simplest way to kind of think about it is around that time, there was a lot of data that was coming out of the recession, looking at the impact 
of the recession at the time on veterinary medicine. And from my perspective, we began to see some of the early indications that the internet was going to have a really profound impact on the way that veterinary medicine was practiced and accessed. And from my perspective, it was an opportunity to look mainly at like the model of care. So how could we enable a model of care that was more modern and scalable and served a broader range of people? And that really began to be a, a key focus for my life. So while my classmates were really focused on, you know, obviously individual animal health and learning about all the particulars of disease and surgery, I was really interested in kind of the model of care and how we could use technology to elevate that, not just for the betterment of uh, patients and clients, but ultimately uh, veterinarians as well, because I really believe that without a healthy profession, you can't get healthy pets. And I think that there's lots of opportunities to, to improve that. So Coming out of vet school, I spent some time down in California in Silicon Valley at an institution called Singularity University. It was really dedicated to learning about some of these areas and topics and then looking to apply that lens of technology back to the veterinary space, which honestly, in, in the summer of 2013, in the fall of that year, was a pretty lonely table. <laughs> there wasn't a lot of people that were really looking at the time on technology uh, and its impact on the profession. But I initially started with a company, LifeLearn, uh, leading some new business activities there with wearable devices and then artificial intelligence and decision support systems before going off on my own and forming a consulting company that was helping you know small and large organizations begin to adapt to the pace of change and look at new ways to be able to serve their customers. Um, and that brought me into a relationship with Texas A&M University. I, I ended up presenting to the, a group of the, the vet school deans and uh, through there met Dr. Eleanor Green. And she basically said, you know, I don't know how this is going to all end up, but we'll find a way to work together. I joined them as a consultant and then eventually became the first director of innovation and entrepreneurship with that school, uh, but actually held that position remotely. So uh, at the time it was pretty novel, but I would fly down from, from Guelph, Ontario, where I was living at the time, about once a month to work at the vet school. Uh, we created a big conference called the Veterinary Innovation Summit that uh, is, continues on to this day, as well as an internship program for students to connect them with startup companies to really match veterinary students to emerging businesses that were going to do some big things in the space uh, and, and now are moving into the fourth year of that program with about 25 uh, externs throughout the course of the summer. But kind of the, the arc and where that ends, uh, at least today, is that um, at the end of the day, I'm, I like to be a builder of the future as opposed to commenting on it and uh, led to the creation of, of the, the company GoFetch Health, uh, where we're building a new membership model to help pet owners afford and access care. So happy to talk more about that. But yeah, I've been fortunate enough to dabble on a bunch of different projects and see the profession from all different sides. And now I think in light of what's happening, the role of technology is more important than ever before. And in particular, how do you use that to help practices adapt under circumstances that are quite you know, extreme and uncertain in a lot of cases? So that's where I think um, there's a huge opportunity for, for me and our business to help. Wonderful. Thanks. And we'll definitely get back to Go Fetch Health for sure. I'm very curious about that. I've been spending a lot of time on the website. It looks really, really neat. And I think it really something that would be uh, helpful. So as I said earlier, we met about three years ago, and you did some great presentations on technology and innovation, and then the work you did at Texas A&M. You know, if you're going to look back three years ago and then fast forward, let's go to February before this COVID-19 or to the end of 2019, 
has technology fulfilled your expectations? So in the companies or some of the apps or technologies you were talking about three years ago or two years ago, did they happen? Did they happen as quickly as you thought or was the promise overblown or did we underestimate just how important this technology is going to be? Yeah, it's an interesting question. So I, I would say that maybe has it fulfilled my expectations is, is maybe the wrong framing because I think that from my perspective, there's still lots of pets that don't participate or have any access to veterinary care at all. In some cases, as high as 25 to 30%. Most pet owners don't get the complete care that their pets need. And so I still think that there's a long way to go to create a veterinary model that is more approachable and accessible and works for more people and more pets, uh, veterinarians included. I think some of the things specifically that have been interesting trends that I think have been accelerated to technology, I think the first thing is that, you know, three years ago, a lot of the tools that were being developed were very siloed that had really poor connectivity to the workflow and processes of the clinics themselves. And so you kind of existed in a world where the ideas were getting started, but how you meaningfully incorporated them into your average small animal two, three doctor practice was a little bit more convoluted than that. I think, you know, a couple of big things. One is being able to have practices digitally connect with clients and being able to provide services like e-commerce, to be able to provide digital services like telemedicine. We started to see some of that over the last few years, but I think a big piece of this story is that from my perspective, it's kind of like the veterinary profession is always just playing catch up. And so the client expectations are in some ways outpacing where we're able to go and the tools and the resources that are available to practices. So while there might've been growing penetration of e-commerce stores, as an example, at the same time, you had companies like Chewy and others that were going much, much more quickly, being able to capture more market share. And then at the same time, I think the other big thing that's happened over the last three or four years has been, you know, the consolidation of practices and what that means for some of the systems of care. So for example, you're having now practice groups that are you know, building their own CE, that are offering their own tools, that are looking at, you know, standardizing and scaling some of these capabilities that have been kind of one-off apps. So I think what we're seeing right now is kind of almost in some ways like the peak of a wave of a whole bunch of like point solutions being created by a whole bunch of different random companies. And what I think we're going to begin to see is the integration of some of those capabilities, um, the consolidation of some of those those companies, and more of a holistic approach to how technology can serve the veterinary profession. I like to say that I, I don't think you're going to live in a future where your veterinary clients have eight apps that are around one practice. Like when you go to your dentist or something like that, there isn't like three or four or five different tools that you have to download to be able to have a good experience because that's just not the way things operate. People want, I think, have higher expectations around those tools. They want to be able to do more things with them. And we need to shift away from the practice having to manage technology at the expense of freeing up time for their clients and patients. So when I speak to practices today, I think one of the things that is even more overwhelming than I initially expected is just how almost right now fatigued practices are about the options that are available and how much decision paralysis there are or an inability to maybe connect some of those dots. So I think for the next several years and and certainly accelerated by what's happening right now, practices are going to look for technologies that make their lives easier and create more opportunities to spend time with patients or clients or frankly doing the work that they love. And I think right now we're still in a phase right now where there's a lot more effort associated with using those tools than there should be. Yeah, that's a very good summary. And we'll get back to the future again. 
But when we're looking at the present time, you know, unparalleled times, pandemic, all new for us. But I think if we look at any of the veterinary discussions, any of the Facebook groups, any place where vets congregate, the word now is telemedicine. Yeah. Up until about a March 11th, people were still talking about private equity and should I sell or what have you. But now all of a sudden it's telemedicine. And, you know, I just looked at a recent survey on Facebook. There's actually a veterinary telemedicine group. Yeah. And it was a poll that I thought was very timely knowing that I was going to speak with you today. And they said, well, how many of you are starting it, but really putting tentative first steps and how many of you are hoping to. And, and it really comes down to, it's just everybody is trying it and they've sort of put their toe in the water, but nobody has really committed. So let's spend some time talking about telemedicine. And you know, I think this will tie into your product as well too, but is telemedicine a viable alternative for veterinary medicine. I have my opinions and I'll share with you a little bit, but I want to hear what you're having to say about this. Yeah. So I look at this from a couple of different perspectives. Um, I think what the pandemic has done is a couple things in relation to telemedicine. From my perspective, the way that veterinary practices, let's say, historically make decisions is that there's this feeling of control that brings a lot of comfort in how practices adopt new technologies. So for example, you can go to a clinic and they're saying, you know, we're looking at implementing a new solution, take any category, whether it's telemedicine or a new practice management software system. And for, for most of the practices, they have the ability to work from a timeline of like months, right? So, you know, we're going to take six months to evaluate this option. We're going to implement it on our terms. We're going to have kind of complete control. And there's a lack some time of appreciation and recognition because it's not hitting you in the face every day that there's external forces that are probably pushing you to or should push you to adopt more quickly. But for most practices, you know, they open the door, people come in, business is, is fairly well. Like it's hard to uh, manufacture a sense of urgency around adopting some of these solutions. And specifically on telemedicine, practices have been providing, you know, free advice and guidance to clients, whether it's responding to emails or phone lines for, for over a decade, right? And so I think what the pandemic has done has been to force practices to do a couple things that are likely creating more tension than existed previously. The first is it's truncated the amount of time that practices have to make decisions because you've gone from maybe we can do this over a six month period. We still have our other lines of business. We don't necessarily need to do this tomorrow to a situation where now clients aren't in the door. They're not allowed to go in the door and practices are scrambling with this balance of how do we maintain our sense of safety for our clients and for our patients and for our staff, well, recognizing that we are business and we have people who depend on us and we need to, to be able to ensure that there's some sort of revenue capture associated with these interactions. And so what you're finding right now from a telemedicine perspective is a lot of the practices have now kind of closed their doors to people coming in physically. They're still getting the same sort of phone calls and emails, but now they don't have the benefit of just the passive revenue that comes through the door. And now they're actively thinking about, well, wait a second, I need to turn this phone call or I need to figure out how to turn these email communications into a more structured revenue generating activity. And I've just never had to do that before. And so I think that's obviously a lot of tension because you've lost that sense of control to adopt tools in the way that you normally have, because you're at a point right now where if you don't make decisions, thinking in a day-to-day -day basis or week basis, at the same time when new regulations and new rules are changing so frequently, you're just scrambling. 
And telemedicine, I don't think is a silver bullet solution, but it presents one way is to be able to capture some of that revenue. I think where the big difference is in terms of how I approach this is that telemedicine just can't be a random thing that you throw out there and expect it to work. The practices that we're seeing be most successful here are finding creative ways to integrate that within their practice and their workflows. So not only are they being successful now, but moving forward, when there's some degree to normal or to return to normal, that will be another kind of arrow in their quiver to be able to support their clients. The last point I'll make there is I think it's a really dangerous mindset. If practices are kind of expecting there will be a specific point in time when things just kind of return to normal. I think from my perspective and what I've been telling our teams and practice partners is that this is likely to be, if not several months, like a year where business will look different. Certainly, we might be able to have the same sort of gatherings and you'll be able to you know, see clients, but I don't think things just return to normal instantaneously. I think that there's a transition period. And so I think the practices that are going to be most successful are trying to figure out a way to serve, not just survive, but some sustainable way to offer services now and be in a position to strengthen their business as clients can return to the door, they can open up other services versus the practices that are saying, well, we're just going to wait it out or we're going to throw this telemedicine thing out, but it really doesn't matter if it's successful because we're waiting for the date and time that we can just kind of return to business as usual. That's not going to be coming as soon as practices would want. Well, that's interesting because you mentioned earlier there's this lag between what vet practices can offer and what clients expect or what they're used to. And we're in an Amazon world and we want instant results. We want instant access. Yeah. And, you know, the, one of the things that this pandemic is doing is accelerating a lot of changes in society. Yes. A lot of changes with technology. And it's also exposing a lot of the weak parts of businesses and industries. Yes. And I think this is really just a wonderful opportunity, if you can be so crass in this time, that this is forcing vet practices to catch up to client demands. And even though we don't have, as you said, and I've never heard it that way, but it's so spot on, the months, if not years, to ponder decisions. Yeah. We're having to do it right now. And I think this is actually, if we're going to start looking at the positives and coming out of this, like how do we survive and not just survive, but thrive coming out of this pandemic. Yeah. Technologies like this are 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 it. I mean, I'm just this is this is one example, but I think this is the most obvious example. So I guess tentatively saying, yeah, we'll do, we'll try this telemedicine rather than committing to it. There'll be a huge difference. Yeah, I think the other point too there that kind of ties into that process of how practices make decisions is, and I understand this, I, I fully get it. Which is one of the components of adapting quickly to change is being comfortable with the fact that you might get it wrong or you might fail or things might not work. And historically, the threshold that their team has needed to clear in order to make a decision is an incredibly high bar because for the most part, we're talking about medical practitioners. And so they want to make sure that things aren't going to go wrong. And unfortunately, when you're dealing with change, there's a lot of learnings that you get from actually doing things, from putting things in the wild, from trying new things out. And so that's normally been a barrier because if your business is working well, there's a reluctance to, to put that at risk, uh, offer a new service that clients don't like, tick off or piss off your, your best clients with a service that doesn't fully function the way that they want. However, what this pandemic has done is I think created a new level of understanding for small businesses and empathy from the community in that your community, where your practice exists, they want you to succeed. They want to see your business continue to exist in the community. And so what that's creating is a buffer that practices can utilize 
to launch new services and try new things because the clients aren't going to say, well, this is broken. It doesn't work. Instead, what they're saying is, I acknowledge that uncertain time for you. I appreciate that you're going above and beyond to find new ways to make my pet's care accessible or affordable, uh, provide more convenience or safety for me and my family. There's a level of understanding and appreciation, which I think should give practices the confidence to try new things much more quickly than they have before. Because these are the same clinics that literally shut their doors and put a piece of paper on the front door that said, uh, you know, call us. We're switching everything to drop off appointments. They are doing the best they can in an extremely uh, challenging situation. But on the other end of that, there's a level of appreciation from your clients and a recognition that you are doing the best that you can, which means that if you're introducing new approaches to serving them, you can be a little bit more comfortable and confident that that's going to be met with a different sort of response if it doesn't work out than if you were to launch something, let's say, six months ago. So I think that that builds the confidence and allows practices to move quickly from trying something out to being the process that they move forward. And then there's some unintended consequences and silver linings that we're beginning to see. It turns out clients really like being able to get support without going in. Practices, some of them like not having to do all the work with a client a foot in front of their face. There's some unintended consequences and benefits by trying things in a different way. And if we can seize on the positive aspects of those changes, I think we can create a model of care that is not just suitable for right now, but is actually a better model of care moving forward. You know, it's interesting because almost what you've, you have is that you do have the sympathetic audience and it's a built-in focus group. And I would say a good approach, probably a vet practice as introducing telemedicine is to be very transparent to their clients of this is new for us. Yeah. We're learning as we're going along. Please tell us when we're doing well, but please tell us when the experience hasn't met what your expectation so we can be better. Exactly. And, and you're also dealing with a world right now where every small business like category is going through the same process. So you might be doing a telemedicine visit with a client, but they probably just come off their daughter's dance class or uh, helping their, their kids out with their homework on a Zoom call or 101 other ways in which they're now living their lives by digitally connecting with businesses uh, to be able to continue with their learnings, with their own jobs, with other relationships that they have with businesses in their community. And so you're not the first one. And oftentimes, the level of comfort that your clients might already have with these tools is actually higher than that that your team might have. Um, and so I agree that it's this positive feedback loop where you're hitting people at a time when they, when they need help. You're demonstrating the fact that, first and foremost, you care about their patients, you care about their pets, and then you're met with a more understanding and adaptable audience who, frankly, can help shape what these services can look like in your practice moving forward. So you don't have to be perfect out of the box. Um, you can adapt, you can change. And we're already beginning to see this with clients that we work with, clinics that we work with, you know, changing prices, changing appointment types, changing the positioning of these services, um, all of which is just strengthening the way that they are delivering care. You said something really uh, interesting there, and I, you said it earlier, and I want to come back to it again, because I think this is the mindset, and I just want to make sure we emphasize this. As veterinarians, we aim for perfection. Yeah. Uh, the consequences when we're not as perfect as we can be when we're doing a surgery has consequences, real consequences, but good enough is good enough right now. Yeah. We will get better, and the, our search for perfection, we, we can't let that get away of just being good and, and, and fulfilling uh, our client needs. I also think too, you know, in this time when so many people are either furloughed off at home or working from home, we are spending much more time with our pets. And I think we're now at that point where we're probably noticing things that are probably have been going on for months, if not years. But because we're home looking at our dog and cat every day, we're going, wow, 
boy, really scratches a lot or really has a hard time, you know, sitting down to go to sleep. And, you know, to have that easy access to your vet practice through telemedicine, I think most pet owners are really going to be able to be like, oh my God, thank God I can get this answer and I'm noticing this and I can get an, uh, some kind of resolution to this. I think really is going to bond your clients to your practice much more than if we didn't have this technology. Yeah. And I think that there's a couple of interesting ways that you can approach this, right? Especially with people that might be a little bit more, let's say, resistant to uh, trying things out. So you mentioned a comment a little bit earlier that I think is really important, which is that as you try new things, and in particular in this environment, it might expose flaws in the old ways of working. So one of the common you know, questions about telemedicine is, well, you know, what if uh, clients book an appointment incorrectly, or it's not an appropriate case for telemedicine, and there's rightfully a level of scrutiny over that process. But maybe to take it from a different perspective, if you go to any practice today and you say, how many phone calls did your front desk staff triage this last month? How many of them resulted in the correct outcome? How many of them resulted in appointments? Nobody has that data because it's never been gathered. And so we're starting to realize that, wait a second, the processes that we've had all along, they might have some flaws in them as well. And so one of the important pieces to recognize, especially right now, is the fact that like your pets don't know there's a pandemic. They're going to continue to get sick. They're going to continue to play with other dogs. They're going to continue to go in long grass and and perhaps pick up parasites or, or, or other things. And so if your practice is waiting to create opportunities for their clients in a more reactive way, you're going to miss the fact that a lot of pets are still going to need care right now. And, yeah. and, and we need to be proactive in reaching those clients and letting them know, hey, you know, whether or not we can do your annual vaccine at this exact moment, there's a whole other slew of health concerns that are still very timely that we should be picking up on. And then I think the other thing too is it's just creating conversations with your staff around us. So the people that are anxious or nervous about launching these, you know, what are the worst case scenarios that they're imagining? You know, what is the thing that they're scared of could happen? And so you can address these head on because historically it's been really easy for practices to say, oh, we just don't think this will work for us. But you have to get really specific on what is it about this that you think doesn't work for you? And can we develop a system to address those concerns proactively? Because you start to, you start to realize as you get people to communicate what their concerns are, that their understanding of how you're envisioning these systems working or, or their concerns are maybe not rooted in how you're intending to use these tools or might be addressed in other ways. And so I think that there's a lot of positive constructive conversations that can come out of the practice uh, evaluating these options. And then to your point, there's a population of clients right now that are probably looking for those services. And what we found is that even the first five or six consults that practices have, you start to see a shift in the team because each of the positive experiences reinforces the model. So you start to have your first consult and it's super easy. The client's really appreciative. Uh, of, of this and you're able to offer meaningful help for that pet and that gives your team more confidence for the next one and more confidence for the next one and before you know it they're actively recommending telemedicine for all these cases because they recognize the benefits that it can provide and this touches on another thing that veterinary practices and, and veterinarians themselves do which is that they undervalue the impact that they can have on a pet owner so you might live in this world where you know 10 minutes of your advice doesn't seem like a lot but to a pet owner that's really nervous or anxious or struggling or doesn't know what to do or can't get a refill of a medication, you solving that problem for that pet owner can be incredibly valuable. 
we're already beginning to see some practices that are doing follow-up consults or second or third telemedicine consults with new clients. So clients who never went to their practice before, whose first touch point with their practice is a telemedicine consult that are now saying, wow, that was awesome, really helpful. And as a result, they're more likely to book a follow-up one. So we kind of create these narratives in our head as, as veterinarians or veterinary uh, teams that this is going to be fraught with um, exposure and liability. People aren't going to want to pay for it. We're not going to be able to help them. It's going to be a broken experience. But for most practices, that doesn't have to be the reality. And as you begin to practice and have those examples, it really begins to break down that kind of false narrative in your head and replace it with a much more positive, optimistic, and constructive one. I'll give a, a personal view. I have so many bookmarked YouTube how-to videos, you know, just like, you know, how do I turn on my power washer and how do I do this? How do I do that? And I love those videos. And they're just videos that were made maybe three, four years ago. Yeah. If I had somebody that I could contact to say, you know, it's not doing it the way you said it would, I'd be over the moon. So exactly. I, I agree with you. We did a webinar a couple of weeks ago with Whitney uh, Hishier, who is a professor uh, or a lecturer at, uh, at UC Berkeley in the MBA program. And she talked a lot about when we make decisions, particularly in times like now when we have to pivot, and is the amount of biases that we have about our businesses, about ourselves, can cripple us from making any movement because we, as you said, we just create so many narratives. Yeah. One specific example there that kind of highlights how powerful that can be. We've seen a really big difference in terms of the compliance and uptake of these consults just by that conversation at the front desk and the confidence in explaining that service. So on one end, you have practices that when people are calling, and again, they don't necessarily know what's different about your, your clinic or how you're operating in these certain, certain times. So they're looking for you to establish that clarity. And if your response is, yep, we're open for urgent care visits only. Um, if you need to see the doctor, we're going to book you in for a telemedicine visit. It's um, 30 minutes and it's one-on-one -on -one with our doctor. And if your pet needs to come in, we waive the exam fee and we charge you for the telemedicine consult only. These are the benefits. Boom, 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 boom. That is a completely different conversation than a parallel practice with somebody picking up the phone and saying, well, you know, we kind of have this video thing, but I'm not sure. And if you don't want it or you don't like it, we don't have to do it. And you can come in. And, and the client's just thinking like, why would I go for this option? Because you don't even seem like you believe in it. Sure. And so we we're having some clinics that we're seeing that they are booking a ton of appointments. And from the client's perspective, there isn't a lot of cognitive decision-making uh, because they're just like, okay, this is just the way things are. You know, if you went to call your hairdresser right now or another business and they're like, this is how we serve you as a customer. And they said, this is kind of the way it is. You, you probably accept that, right? You don't necessarily open up Pandora's box to say, well, do you believe that you should be selling gear this way? And what if I can do it like this or pay like this? That's not the way the world works. <laughs> and so yeah, it really starts sure. with your front desk being confident in this as an option. And frankly, if they're not confident, it usually reveals some biases or concerns with the model that need to be addressed ahead of time. Yeah. And that's a boy, that's a whole other can of worms that we could really dig down into another time. So uh, veterinarians are going to be listening to this. Yep. There are so many, yours included, but let's just talk about generally, there are a lot of telemedicine options. Yeah. And, you know, from as basic as doing a FaceTime or a Zoom call. Yeah. But what are some of the things that people should consider when looking at a telemedicine platform? Yeah, for sure. So uh, I think that there's a few kind of 
buckets of things that practices should should consider. So I think first and foremost, it's really trying to understand what's going to be important to you as a practice. So how do you want to provide these services? Do you want to do you know asynchronous uh, scheduled appointments via video? Are you looking for a chat platform or some way to maybe streamline some of your digital communications? Because a lot of the feature sets are, are quite different and dispersed. And and related to that is how they integrate or work with your existing systems. In some cases, the integration is more or less important. And there are tools that today integrate with your existing medical records systems or offer streamlined calendar options or things of that nature. So I would say, you know, what are the things that are important to you? More specifically, what are the problems that you're trying to solve? Uh, A really simple one for practices is just saying, look, I want to begin to capture uh, revenue and structure some of these inbound requests that we're getting for phone calls. So in that case, you know, perhaps a platform that allows you to, you know, schedule, pay, and uh, deliver those sorts of consults is going to be effective. I would say though that one of the things that is important to recognize is that I've seen examples of every one of these platforms working really well for practices or doing poorly for practices. And so it's not so much about the tool, but kind of how you use and integrate it. And so a key component of this is how you're going to let clients know and how you're going to actually drive the demand for those virtual consult visits. And and that's where, you know, the staff training is important. The email marketing or the other communication strategies to let clients know is an important consideration as well. I think another set of features to consider is the fact that most practices have a lot of differences between their neighbors and how they do, how they manage themselves. So one of the things that's challenging from a software perspective is something that's known as like edge cases, right? So these are, let's say you're selling a piece of software and a, and a company wants to use it in a very specific or different way. And as a, as a technology company, it can be difficult to build to support a variety of edge cases. So I'll give you an example. In Alberta, there's a rule that says you can't advertise prices to clients. So you can't, as an Alberta practice, put your prices online where clients can see how much an exam costs. Now, that's different in different provinces, but that's kind of a uh, a non-starter for a lot of practices in, in Alberta. If you had a platform, for example, that says, well, by default, all our prices are available, you can't turn that setting off. Um, it's a good example of a very specific feature that from the company's perspective, it seems kind of like a no-brainer that you'd want to show those prices online, but the rules preclude Alberta clinics from offering that. So in that case, you need to have a platform that would allow you to hide or not make those prices visible. So those sorts of considerations, I think, are important. How you're going to manage and think about your schedule. So I, I'm kind of seeing two different approaches right now. You know, we have teams, uh, clinics that do the team team approach. So you have one team that's providing telemedicine uh, from home and when they're not in the clinic, and the other team is just providing all the follow-up care. But then you have practices that they're kind of doing uh, both at the same time in clinic. And so, you know, things like the scheduling, can you accommodate multiple doctors? Can you accommodate note-taking? Are you recording and transcribing those calls uh, for accuracy of medical records and how are those being stored? There's like a laundry list of features that or problems that practices can outline. And then I think it's a, a level of comfort that you have with the platforms and the tools. Uh, so for example, uh, you know what our company's done is, is a bit of a different model, but what we realized pretty early on was that things like really functional scheduling, uh, a lot of video conferencing capabilities, there's tools out there that we can integrate with and leverage to be able to create a better experience for clients as opposed to us building our own video conferencing platform because we're never going to be as good as Zoom or some of these other platforms because that's all they do. And so I think one of the things that practices need to consider is 
the level of sophistication in some of these platforms and how they work with their existing systems and then what features are really important to them based on how they want to use it. But ultimately, a large part of this right now is that the tools themselves are only part of the solution. The second part is how they integrate with how you want to set up your business models, how you want to set up your workflows, and being able to have flexibility to accommodate what your clinic is doing is is an important consideration because from what we've seen, practices take a variety of different approaches in how they charge and how they look at the referral process and how they provide follow-up care. Um, And so there's a lot there to unpack as you consider what options are best for you. So that brings us to the last part of our discussion. And let's talk about your platform, GoFetch Health. Yeah. Can you give us a quick overview of GoFetch Health and and why you created this platform? So I'm I'm the founder of GoFetch Health along with my partner of mine, Mike Sherman. And at a core level, we have a bit of a different philosophy in how we think about technology and veterinary practices. 99% of the tools that are available for vets today operate on this sort of model. I'm a company. I want to provide capabilities to the vet clinic. So I'm going to sell you software. I make all my money off the software sales and the licensing and the user fees and the setup fees. And then you're responsible for implementing it and making it successful. And there's two big problems with that model in my view. The first is you're putting all the costs and effort on the practice and your incentives are aligned in a way where as a company, I don't necessarily care as much how impactful that solution is on your practice because I'm making money, whether you sign up all your clients or none of your clients, whether it's bringing $100,000 a month to your business or $10,000 a month. The incentives are set up in a way where as long as I get the software sales from the clinic, And certainly I can help you be more or less successful, but I'm so detached from the outcome that that software is trying to have. And it aligns the incentives in a really strange way. And then the second part is just that this idea of selling veterinary practices technology so that vets have a bunch of software bills and they're having to pay monthly fees or admin fees on top of that just seems like a really broken business model for me because ultimately the clients are the ones that are usually benefiting from these tools. And so if you can monetize it through the pet owners, you can allow a much different sort of model where from our company's perspective, we can put a lot more into the technology. We are incentivized to help it be successful for the pet owners because we only make money if they sign up and not take it. And it allows us to reduce the effort and the paywall for clinics getting started. So what our membership model is, is that we partner with practices to be able to provide their clients with kind of three core capabilities. In addition to this, we don't charge the practice anything. We don't charge them any setup fees. We don't charge them any min fees. We don't charge them any monthly fees. We instead monetize it mainly through pet owners. So the first feature that we have is the ability to do telemedicine consults. You can customize anything that you want in terms of the length of those consults, the prices that you charge. And uh, we have been basically standing up a practice a day right now where their teams are providing telemedicine via video to their clients. Uh, we've been able to wrap that together in a way where we support the practices themselves being able to customize it to whatever uh, their individual clinics particulars are. And we can stand them up really quick and there's no commitments. It doesn't, they don't have to, for example, pay two or $300 a month and then hope that it's successful. Instead, we take a small percentage 
of each consult as a transaction fee to basically cover our costs. So if you don't book any telemedicine consults, you don't pay us anything. And you only pay us if you start actually booking consults and are successful. So that's kind of the telemedicine piece. The second part is, is that pet owners get access to 24-7 teletriage. So this is different than the telemedicine. This is live chat and phone access to a pool of veterinarians that are available 24-7 to handle general advice and triage. So from a client's perspective, you have the benefits of being able to connect with your vet when you need to and being able to have that relationship with your clinic. But there's also kind of that fallback or alternative option when your clinic isn't available where you can speak to a vet whenever you want. The third piece is that we have a really unique rewards and loyalty component that we see bridging kind of the online digital services and the in-clinic activities. And what's interesting about that is it happens automatically where the practice doesn't have to track, manage, or worry about anything. Clients go in, they earn rewards associated with the care that they receive. The rewards can only be spent back at the clinic, and they're used to build a relationship and strengthen that relationship back with the individual practice. And one of the things that's really exciting is that in light of what's happening right now, we've been able to secure industry support for rewards that will be provided for those telemedicine consults. So on our platform starting next week, for any client that has a telemedicine consult with your practice, they will receive $10 on their GoFetch Health wallet account that can only be spent back at your clinic. And so it goes towards a future visit, it goes towards uh, additional care that they might need. And we have a partnership with Visa that allows us to generate in real time a virtual Visa card that can only be used at your clinic. So you get the benefits of the telemedicine and those virtual services, but the rewards really acts as a bridge back to your practice. And now we're basically through industry support being able to give away dollars that are going to go towards your clients uh, to be spent at your clinic on vet care. And what's really unique about that is the rewards are actually higher than the transaction fees. So from a practices perspective, by partnering with us, not only do you get all these capabilities and be able to offer telemedicine, it is actually more affordable to work with us because of those rewards than if you were to use any other tool on the internet. You pay you, right. The rewards are higher than what you pay us which is a really kind of novel concept. And so our goal, again, is to drop all the barriers to clinics offering these tools, stand them up super quickly, worry about creating an impact for their pet owners, and then over time monetize that with the pet owners, but using the rewards as a loyalty builder where we're completely in line with the goals of the practice. And what we found is that that allows us to create a lot of value for pet owners, create a lot of value for clinics, but the clinics don't have to pay anything, they don't have to do anything, and instead they're supporting rewards that in, in turn get invested back at their practice. So it's a completely different model from a business perspective and how we make money and the relationship with the practice. But as a result, you get more for less and it requires a lot less effort to get going. Yeah, really the barrier to entry for a practice is non-existent. And really what you're doing is keeping that client with the practice. Brilliant. Yeah. Adam, this has been absolutely fantastic. I, I think anybody listening to this will have a good basic understanding of telemedicine, uh, probably more than a basic understanding and real curiosity to go fetch health. In the uh, podcast notes, I'll put the links to this. want to thank you uh, very much for uh, reconnecting and sharing your, your vast knowledge. And uh, I'm sure this will not be the last time we talk in the near future. Thank you very much, Adam. Thank you very much, Mike. Have a good day, everybody. Stay safe. At Oculus Insights, we care a lot about animals, but we also care about the health of the veterinary profession. Our goal is to support veterinary businesses around the world by helping you clear your path to success.